welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. I invite you to open your Bibles or your phones, whatever, to Luke chapter 9. And um, I gave Liz a very large passage to work on. She's chosen the first 17 verses. So Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. It says this. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them, took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed all those who needed healing. Later in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodgings because we are in a remote place here. And he replied, You give them something to eat. And they answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Then the disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Amen. Recently, I experienced a miracle. (laughs) There it is again. Some of you will be aware that uh, last month, the state meeting of the Uniting Church took place uh, at Adelaide West Uniting Church. And there's been some talk about that here because our very own Reverend Peter Morell at that meeting was installed as the moderator of the Uniting Church in South Australia. So the leader of the Uniting Church in South Australia. Well, early in the year, Peter asked me to be the convener of the worship for that four-day event. Perhaps that's a miracle in itself, I'm not sure. But I accepted that task with gratitude for the privilege, but also feeling fairly daunted. The Uniting Church is a broad church. Not everyone does worship in the Uniting Church like we do worship. 
uh, we do it in all kinds of ways in the Uniting Church. So how to, how to create a worship experience, in fact, six separate worship experiences over four days, that will be meaningful to a diversity of people. And more than that, have I disappeared again? And more than that, and more than that, back then, I was feeling pretty spiritually dry and feeling distant from God myself. I wasn't sleeping all that well. And when you don't sleep and you feel distant from God, uh, all sorts of self-doubt can creep in. So that was the place I found myself in when Peter asked me to lead the worship for the Uniting Church in the state. So I prayed about whether to say yes or no, and I'd already decided that I wasn't planning to say yes to too many things this year. So I prayed about it, and I had a strong sense that God was saying, yes, say yes, and I'll meet you there. So I said yes. Well, a fair bit of planning goes into something like that, and after some months of planning and preparation and pulling the band together and rehearsing and doing all the overhead projector slides for 22 songs over six uh, worship services and trying to work out all the different uh, services that have to happen, the celebration of ministry, the installation of the moderator, all those things. All of that was coming together beautifully when 12 days before the synod meeting, I woke with a bit of a scratchy throat, which turned into one of those razor blade raging sore throats. Perhaps you can see where this is going. Then laryngitis, so I couldn't speak at all for three days. And then it was clear I had COVID. So there I was, sitting on that same couch I'd been sitting on praying to God earlier in the year, in my dressing gown, with no energy and brain fog and no voice. And I was in no position whatsoever to imagine leading 200 people in worship over four days. And so you can imagine that God and I were having all kinds of conversations in those days. I thought about whether it was time for a backup plan. Was it time to think about inviting someone else in to take over? But over and over, the words kept coming to me, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. And indeed, God did meet me there on the couch in my dressing gown, reminding me that synod worship didn't belong to me. It didn't belong to Peter. It didn't even belong to the synod. It belonged to God. And though I felt like I had nothing, like the 12 apostles who were sent out with nothing, carrying nothing, not even a voice to sing or proclaim God's praises, that I just needed to keep doing what I could do, rest myself, rest my voice, drink lots of water and honey and lemon and herbal tea and wait. Wait upon God. Well, the morning of the installation arrived and as I tried to run through the opening prayer out loud in the morning, I couldn't get through the first stanza without coughing. I had sung a few lines of the songs and I had a bit of voice, but I didn't know how much or how long that would last for. Nevertheless, Late in the afternoon, I got in the car and drove to Adelaide West, having a serious conversation with God along the way. And um, when the time came, the marvellous band turned up, including our very own David Gardner on cello, 
the moderator arrived, the official guests arrived, the Korean partner church leaders, the uh, leader of the opposition in the state, David Spears, in the front row. The people poured in and the service began. And um, as that first song began, my voice came out clear and strong. And that group of people, we lifted the roof. And then as I led the people in prayer, my voice was husky, as it still is a bit now, but it held. And I reached the end of the prayer without a single cough. And that was the way of the whole week. During, voice, during worship, my voice held. No coughing to distract from worship. Melodies and harmonies flowing freely. And then on the way home and in between worship, there was coughing and carry on but never in the midst of worship when I really needed it. I'll meet you there, God had said. And God met me there in more ways than I can even begin to describe. When it seemed in my own strength I had nothing to give, God provided. God met me there. Thank you, Jonathan, Jonathan, for giving me this scripture to work on this week and what a scripture it is. It's always good before speaking on a passage to look at what happens on either side of the passage to see what kind of context we're we're looking at, what kind of context we find ourselves in in this scripture, which can help us to understand more of what's going on in that scripture. So immediately before our Luke 9 reading for today, Jesus performs four miracles. He's quite busy in chapter 8. First, he calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has power even over the wind and the waves. Secondly, he hears the Gerasene man whose life had been taken over by unclean spirits. Thirdly, he brings Jairus' daughter back to life. He has power over life and death itself. And fourthly, on his way there, he heals the hemorrhaging woman, the woman, the woman who's been bleeding for years. And it's straight after all of that that we have chapter 9 our reading for today. So we've heard Jonathan uh, read it, but it's worth looking at carefully. When Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It's like he's saying, in chapter nine, in chapter eight, there you've been with me, you've watched me, you've seen the power of God, the kingdom of God breaking through into people's lives, calming their storms, giving their life back, healing them. You've seen me do it. Now it's your turn. Now it's time for you to do it. Or well, I don't know about you, but I can only imagine what that must have been like. Unfortunately, we don't get a sense of their response, whether they were excited about this or fearful. But I imagine there was a fair bit of this kind of thing. Who? Us. It's one thing to follow you and to be with you while you do it, but completely another to expect that the power of God would flow through us without you, Jesus, physically being with us. But before they left, he did something really important. They weren't doing it in their own strength and in their own power. He gave them power and authority, his own power and authority, before he sent them to preach and heal. 
Jesus didn't then and doesn't now assign a task until he has first equipped those who are to perform it with what they need. As they go, they are clothed in power and authority and the clothes they stand in, but that's it. They are told to go with nothing else. No, st- no staff, no bag, no food, no money, not even an extra shirt. They are told to fully trust in God and the kindness and hospitality that he provides for them along the way. Rod and I are planning a trip to Spain in September and we're planning a multi-day walk. Now we think we're travelling pretty light, although yesterday we had our first walk with our backpacks on, didn't seem that light. But in our backpacks, which aren't all that big, we're travelling with pretty much a single change of clothes, some wet weather gear, water, money, a passport, a phone and charger, some blister plasters and anti-inflammatories and pain relief. But what Jesus is asking of his disciples, this is really travelling light. Travelling from village to village, carrying nothing at all. What it means, though, is that they are completely reliant on the people they meet and on the provision of God who is sending them. Completely reliant. Whatever happens, they will know that any success they have will not be about their own resourcefulness or their own skill. They won't be distracted by their own comfort or burdened by having too much to carry in their hands or on their back. Everything will be stripped back to who they are and what God does through them. And the result? Though we aren't told exactly in detail what they did, we are given a summary and this is it. So they departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Well, that is an appalling lack of detail. I, for one, would love to know more. Also, during the absence of the twelve, after Jesus sent them out to go through the villages, Luke records nothing about what Jesus is doing during that time. We don't know anything about his deeds and words while they're away. What was he doing? Did he keep going about his business or did he stop and rest and trust in the disciples to keep doing his work? We're not told any of this. What we are told though, what we are told though, what we are told though, in verse 7 is something of the impact of their actions. Now Herod the ruler heard about all that had taken place and he was perplexed. Who is this about whom I hear such things? And he tried to see him. The implication here is that through word spreading of the work of the 12 followers of Jesus, these people who are just apprentices really, Herod was so intrigued he tried to see Jesus himself. Now, it's all very well to say that the 12, those closest to Jesus, who were with him and ate with him and watched all that he did for those years, it's fine to say that they can do those things. Perhaps you're thinking that that was then and this is now and those things don't happen anymore. But like the 12, we are also sent. We here in Aberfoyle Park, 
or wherever you're watching this, we are still being sent. Near the end of the Gospel of John, in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The word sending in Latin is missio. This is where the word mission comes from. And we, the church, from that moment on, have been sent. We are on mission. Tim Hine, the Director of Discipleship of the Uniting Uniting College, and he's also Minister at Malvern Uniting Church, recently wrote a piece on mission, which you can find on the Uniting Church website. It's really worth a read. And I'm going to quote from it shamelessly because Tim is a clear thinker on mission and he also quotes some clear thinkers on mission. Tim quotes David Bosch, who talks about mission like this. Mission is alerting people to the universal reign of God through Christ. Alerting people. He also quotes John Flett who writes, God is missionary in nature and always has been. It belongs to God from and to all eternity to come to us in creation, reconciliation and redemption. God is missionary in nature and always has been. This means that to engage in mission is to participate in the very life of God. There is no participation in Christ without participation in his mission to the world. They're not separable. We love because he first loved us. And then there's the basis of union, the inspiring foundational document of the Uniting Church, which is worth a read as well, that says, because Jesus is Lord, reconciliate. Reconciliation and renewal is the end in view for the whole creation. The church's call, its mission is to serve that end, to be an instrument through which Christ may work and bear witness to himself. This is what the 12 were doing in the villages after they were given power and authority. They were being an instrument through which Christ may work and bear witness to himself. The mission of the church... The mission of each of us who is a follower of Jesus, whether we've been following Jesus our whole lives or for a really long time, or if we've only just turned to follow him, still our mission is to be used by God as an instrument pointing to who Jesus is and to what Jesus has done. It's our job to alert people to that reality, this good news, that God is on the move, that God is still at work. This alerting involves both proclamation and demonstration, speaking and serving. And this alerting work of proclamation and demonstration, speaking and serving, should occur in hundreds of different ways. From the tiniest daily actions of ordinary Christians to the major programs of churches and organisations, it should shape the life of every Christian and every congregation. We exist for no other reason, writes Tim. So if we know something of the good news of Christ, if we in any way have benefited from the healing power of knowing and experiencing the love and sense of belonging of God, what would it say, what would it mean about us if we just kept that to ourselves? 
On the other hand, what would it mean if things that we did, the faith that we had, not in ourselves and what we owned or carried, but in something greater? What if the way we lived our lives and the transformation uh, that might come in the world around us as we went about our lives as followers of Jesus would lead people to ask that question, the question that Herod asked. Who is this about whom I hear such things? And imagine then, because if because of something about our lives, people would try to see Jesus. Please understand that I am not inviting you or even demanding you to become cleverer, stronger or braver, to have superpowers like I think we sometimes think these 12 disciples had. They had no superpowers themselves. Quite the opposite. Jesus called simple fishermen from the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he gave them power and authority to heal and to proclaim good news. He still calls farmers and fishermen and accountants. He calls seamstresses and nurses and mechanics and hairdressers and unemployed people and school students. Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And these words still stand. So a summary of where we've been so far. Jesus called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They went carrying nothing and they went through the villages bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Herod heard about it, as we know, and he was perplexed and he tried to see Jesus. And now we're in new territory in our reading. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. Imagine that reunion. Imagine the stories they had to tell Jesus and each other. Then taking them along, perhaps he thought they needed a rest, and he slipped quietly into a city called Bethsaida. But when the crowds found out, they followed him and he welcomed them. He didn't turn them away because everyone needed a rest. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions. For we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. See what he did there? It's no longer all about what he is able to do through the power of God. He's inviting them into his mission. He's giving them an apprenticeship into what it is to trust God's provision and to provide for others. You give them something to eat. And what follows is that miracle that most of us are so familiar with, the multiplying of five loaves and two fish into a meal that was somehow able to feed a crowd of over 5,000 people. And that says in our reading, 5,000 men, that doesn't even include the women and children. Some people say that obviously feeding that huge crowd with so little food wasn't really possible. People attempt to explain our way and say that when Jesus made everyone safe, sit down and gave them a tiny bit of food, that prompted them to produce the food they'd brought anyway and that was the miracle, that people shared what they had. But each of the four Gospels tells this story quite explicitly. 
which makes me think it wasn't just about people sharing what they had in their lunchbox, that something pretty special was going on here, otherwise the four Gospels wouldn't have recorded it. So no, at this point, we as hearers of this story are invited to go out like the disciples into the unknown where there is no rational or scientific explanation, into a world where how we normally see things ain't necessarily so. The place of trusting in the goodness and faithfulness of God completely. So I wonder, have you ever experienced a miracle? Or do you know someone who has experienced a miracle? Researchers would say that even if we do experience a miracle, after about six weeks, we get to a point where we sort of start explaining it away and and, um, we forget about the miracle of it all. Six weeks. Have you ever experienced a miracle? I've found myself trying to explain away my miracle. My miracle of not being able to speak in the morning, yet being able to sing in the evening when it was needed. I found myself wondering, maybe it was psychosomatic. Maybe I brought the cough on and then somehow subconsciously was able to switch the cough off. Maybe using a different part of my brain enabled a different ability. Maybe all that nurofen and honey and lemon, maybe. And then I found myself, even when I decided it was a miracle, discounting it in the way I was talking about it. I heard myself saying, it was like a kind of a miracle. But no, there was no rational explanation and it wasn't a kind of a miracle. I couldn't speak and sing and for a while, for a while, and then when it was needed, when it was really needed, I could. And God had already told me, I'll meet you there. And God really did. And the result of this for me and perhaps also for others was a sense of blessing and of joy and delight as well as knowing companionship in a struggle, all signature things of God. And I know there are many people in the world who need a miracle more, far more than I needed that miracle. I think of people in Ukraine. I think of people all around us who need a miracle, people in, in my hospital who need a miracle. And I don't know what to say about that. It's kind of offensive that I got my miracle and not everybody does. But I can't explain that. That's in the hands of God. And we don't get to decide those things. We get to pray and to hope and to expect. But we don't get to decide. But my recent experience speaks to me of a God who knows and understands our struggles and the desires of our heart. It speaks to me of my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And my experience has renewed my sense of trust and renewed in me a sense of expectation. My sense of expectation in God and also an expectation of what God is able to do in and through even me. So let's share our stories of miracles. Let's share our stories. The world needs to know. The world needs to know that God is still speaking. God is still acting. God is still sending. God is still giving power and authority and still providing for the needs of those who follow him.
So let's share our stories. Let us allow ourselves in all kinds of ways to be sent. And let us be expectant. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you that you created, you created the universe. And you created each of us. You created um, such big things and yet you know the smallest parts of our lives and what's important to us. You know the stories of each of the pers- people listening to this now, here in this room and further afield. You know. So I pray, loving God, that we would um, have our hearts and eyes opened to knowing that you're still speaking, still acting. Let's have our hands empty. Let's not carry too much on our backs. Let's be expectant and waiting. Let us know that you will meet us there because you are a faithful God. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.